All right, all right, let's fucking go. Fishing pole cast number two. I haven't actually read aloud in a while, but my idea is to read cool books. Maybe uh, turn into an audiobook narrator or something. Many have complained about my voice being nasally and Jewish. That may be true. Uh, it is true. I have allergies. I have the window open right now. I think it's... Uh, Fallen? What's the green shit that falls all over your car? Whatever the fuck that is, it's all over, man. It, it, it's fucking killing me. Everything hurts. But fishing club, fishing club, fishing pole book club on the fishing pole cast is going to read um, at least one chapter today of The Storm of Steel by Ernst Younger, the original 1929 translation. We're going to see, uh, A, if I can read, and B, um, if I can read aloud, uh, C, if uh, anyone listens to this. Uh, I know the book is widely available, and many have read it, but um, I think uh, a, a nasally voice reading it may, may uh, in invite new listeners or uh, a new audience. You know, um, much controversy about this book, full of uh, German nationalism, etc. Uh, uh, graphic depictions of war, some of the most graphic depictions of war, some would say. Alright. <clears throat> Chapter 1 Orenville. The train stopped at Bazenfort, a small town in Champagne, and there we got out. With unbelievable awe, we listened to the slow pulsation of the machinery of the front, a tune to which long years were accustomed to us. Far away, the white ball of shrapnel shell melted into the gray December sky. The breath of war passed by us with a peculiar horror. Did we imagine that nearly every one of the us would be swallowed up in the days when that dull muttering over there broke out into unceasing thunder? One earlier, another later, we had left the lecture room, classroom, and bench behind us. We had welded by a few weeks' training into one corporate mass, inspired by the enthusiasm of one thought, to carry forward the German ideals of the 1870s. We had grown up in a material age, and each one of us there was a yearning for a great experience, such as we had never known. The war had entered into us like wine. We had set out in a rain of flowers to seek the death of heroes. The war was our dream of greatness, power, and glory. It was a man's work, a duel on the fields whose flowers would be stained with blood. There's no lovelier death in the world. Anything rather than stay at home. Anything to make one with the rest. Our fevered thoughts cooled down as we marched through the heavy chalk loam of... Uh, I think that's Loom of Champagne. Packing a ammunition and rifle waited on us like lead. At last, we reached the village of Orainville, the rest place of the 73rd Fusiliers, a little spot typical of that neighborhood, consisting of 50 cottages built of brick or flint round, a park enclosed chateau. The traffic in the village street was shrunk to eyes accustomed to peace conditions. <clears throat> There are only a few uneasy and unkempt civilians to be seen. Everywhere there were soldiers in worn and torn coats. 
with tanned faces and thick beards, who went to and fro with long swinging strides or lounging in small groups at the cottage doors assailed to us newcomers with the shaft. At one place there was a cooker smelling of bean soup and surrounded by a ration party of clattering Dixies. The Wallenstein-like romance was heightened by the insepid dilapidation of the village. After spending our first night in a huge barn, we were paraded before the adjudil lieutenant, and he then was von Brixen in the courtyard of the chateau, and told off to our companies, mine being the ninth. Our first day of the war was destined to make a very distinct impression on us. We were sitting in the schoolhouse. We were quartered, having breakfast. Suddenly, there was a series of heavy explosions close by, and soldiers rushed from every house and crowded into the entrance of the village. We followed their example without knowing why. Again, there was a the peculiar whisper and fluster overhead that we had never heard, drowned in a terrific crash. I was surprised to see the men round me crouching as if bent under terrific pressure. Immediately after, black groups appeared in the empty village street, bearing black bundles on stretchers or on joint hands. A feeling of unreality oppressed me as I started stared at a figure streaming from blood whose limbs hung loose and who unceasingly gave a hoarse cry for help as though death had had him already by the throat. He was carried into a cottage with the Red Cross flag over the door. What was all this then? The war had shown its claws and torn off its pleasant mask. It was so mysterious, so impersonal. One had scarcely given a thought to the enemy carrying on his secret and malignant existence somewhere behind. The impression of something arising entirely from beyond the pale of existence was so strange that it was difficult to see the connection of things. It was like a ghost at noon. A shell had hit the entrance of the chateau and had struck a mass of stones and masonry into the doorway just as the minutes inmates terrified by the previous shell burst were flocking out. There were 13 casualties, among them the bandmaster, Gebhard, whom I known well by sight from the promenade concerts at Hanover. A horse standing, tied up the steps, realized the danger before the human beings, and breaking loose, galloped <coughs> unhurt into the courtyard. I could tell from talking to my companions that this episode had somewhat damped their martial ardor. It had affected me too. I seldom heard the rumble of the passing lorry without mistaking it for the sound of that deadly shell. In any case, however, it was our fate, all through the war, to start at a sudden and unexpected sound. Whether a train clattered by, or a book on the floor, or a cry rang out at night, the heart always still stood for a moment in the belief that some great and unknown danger threatened. It was a sign of living four years under the shadow of death. The effect upon the dark regions that lie beneath the conscience were so deep at the least interruption of the usual course, death stared up with warning hand, or as he does in those clocks where he appears above the dial at every hour with sand glass and sith. It was a sensation over which habit could not prevail, since the instinct of self-preservation remains always the same. The notion that a soldier becomes hardier and bolder as war proceeds is mistaken. What he gains in the science and art of attacking his enemy, he loses of strength, of nerve. The only dam against this loss is a sense of honor so resolute that few attain to it. For this reason, I consider 
that troops composed of boys 20 under experienced leadership are the most formidable. On the evening of the same day came the movement we had so long desired when heavily laden we set out for the line. Our way led through Berticourt, whose ruins stood up fantastically in the dusk to a lonely ranger's lodge concealed in pine woods known as the Fensassery. This was the battalion reserve, and the ninth company was in reserve till that night. The officer commanding was Lieutenant R. Brahms. We reported and were detained to our platoons, and soon found ourselves surrounded by bearded, mud-caked companions who greeted us with a certain ironical good humor. They asked us how things were going in Hanover and whether the war was going to end soon. Then the talk fell to laconic remarks about trenches, cookers, shell fires, and other matters of trench warfare. After a while, there was a shout out to turn out at the entrance of our hut-like shelter. We fell within our sections at the command of Laden under Shishurn. We put up a clip of live cartridges into the magazine with secret joy. <clears throat> then, in silence and in single file, we went across the country through the night in a landscape studded with clumps of woodland. Now and then, a single shot rang out, or a rocket fizzed up and after a brief and ghastly illumination left the darkness blacker than before. The dull clank of rifles and entrenching tools was varied by the warning cry, Look out! Wire! Then suddenly, <clears throat> a rattle and a crash and a curse. Can't you open your mouth when there's a shell hole coming? The corporal takes up the tale. Shut up! Blast you! Do you think the French have mud in their ears? We get on quicker. The dark of the night, the glimmer of a very light, the slow flicker of rifle fire induce a tremendous state of alert of the nerves. Occasionally a chance bullet sings by, cool, thin overhead lost in the distance. How often then I had gone up in line in a mood half of the excitement and half of melancholy through the scenes of utter desolation. Finally, we were lost to the sight in one of those trenches that wind like white serpents through the night to the front line. Once there, I woke to find myself alone and shivering. I was staring intently over the parapet at a row of firs in the front of the trench, among which my fancy conjured up the shadowy figures on every side, while now and then a stray bullet crashed through the branches. The only change during these almost endless hours was that an older hand took me by a long, narrow sap to a post in front of the line. And there were occupied there we occupied ourselves as I had done before, in keeping a lookout. For two hours after that I was allowed to sleep the sleep of exhaustion in a bare hole in the chalk. By dawn I was white and chalky as the rest. I felt as though I had lived in this mole's life for months. The regiment's front was opposed to the village of La Gauda, in the chalk hills of Champagne. On the right was destroyed garnet wood. Then the line zigzagged through the large fields of sugar beet, among which the red trousers of those who had fallen in previous attacks were conspicuous and ended in low ground, where we touched with the 74th, had to be maintained by the means of night patrols. The beck flowered over the wear of a destroyed mill surrounded by gloomy trees. It was an eerie spot to be in, moon through, shifting shadows between rifts of cloud, and when strange sounds seemed to be mingled with the murmur of the water and the whisper of the reeds. Trench life here was exhausting as it well could be. From the day began before dawn, when every man had to be standing to. From 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., there were only two men 
from each section might be sleeping, which worked out to two hours of sleep per man. And even this, owing to be wakened earlier, having straw to fetch, was one thing to attend to, was often imagined. All right, that's as much as I can read at one time. I'm getting a fucking migraine. Um, okay, so that's part one. I've read four pages. There's 139 pages total. Uh, I'm fucked. <laughs> I am completely and utterly fucked if I'm tired after five pages. Um, so that was Fishing Pole Cast number two, Storm of Steel, episode one. Part one of, it's got to be at least 100 parts. All right, fishing pole out.